This is the Tribune Audio Network. Hi. Hi. Welcome to SIP. Survive. And repeat. I'm Jenny. I'm Danelle. And I'm Kenny. Woo! And this is a podcast about survival stories and wine and just weird news. Yes, there, all of those. All it's those things. Amazing. Um, we got a really short but succinct review on oh. Apple Podcasts. It's our 86th rating. Nice. Uh, another five-star situation. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it said, y'all sound like you're having so much fun. Well, we are. Thank well, you. We, we fucking are. It's amazing. We wish we were together in the same room, I know. Though. I can't wait. When do you think we can start getting back together? I mean, I'm pretty open, but... I mean, I guess we can talk about this off... Yeah, but people might want to (laughs) know. I don't know. I don't know what people want. But, I mean, here's what I'm thinking. If the weather gets better, I'm coming to your house, Danelle. Yeah, just come over here. (laughs) Because I want to harass you and drink wine with you while looking or sitting near your pool. Yeah, and then, Kenny, if you don't want to make the trek here, you can just call in. I mean, I'd make the trek. Gonna be and living Kim- at Kim's officially in three months, so. <gasps> oh, what? Yeah. What? Congratulations! I'm so excited. So oh it's way God. closer than I was before by yeah. like Good. thirty-five by a minutes. Lot. Yeah. That's so exciting, Kenny! It's about damn time. <laughs> I'm so excited. So does this mean that her other roommate's moving out? Yes, it does. Okay. okay. Give All us right. the scoop. Great. Now, Amazing. Are your parents okay with that? Her parents are okay with that? My parents don't really care. Her parents, you know, not the happiest, but whatever. They're a little more traditional, but that's okay. Listen, you're going to do it eventually. Like, I don't mean do it. I mean, like, move in together. Um, Yeah. But I have to say, if you do it now when you're, like, how old are you? 25? Yeah. That's the perfect age to move in together, I have to say, like, I didn't move in with anyone until I was, like, 31. Mm -hmm. And my parents were, like, Thank God. We thought something was wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> See, it could be that. You know, Todd and I moved in together when I was 25. And the first year was a lot of discovery of the things that we do to annoy each other. But after that, it was, I mean, you're over at each other's houses so much anyway. Why not save the money on rent? And you want to be together. So who cares? It was great. And 16 years later, it's fine. So there you See. go. See, mm-hmm. it works. Mm-hmm. Good job. So, Yay. yeah. So once the weather breaks, the pool, we're opening everything up and on. Sorry, this is such an off, off conversation, but I'm fine it'll be, it'll, everything's going to be opened up in a couple weeks. So um, I tried again, my annual, try and get Donald to let me get a pool in the backyard. Yeah. How'd that work? Uh, I went and talked pricing with the folks at Lighthouse Pools and Spas, which is a local. I love it. Um, but then of course, Donald put the kibosh on it. He's like, let's just wait and see what happens. Mm, you I, was need like, that. I was like, all the pools are going to be closed this summer. What am I going to do? Come over here. I, know. I do <laughs> think you could pull, no pun intended, but different kind of pool. You could just do like a surprise father's day gift and it's a pool. Yeah. I don't think he would appreciate that. Oh, okay. <laughs> like surprise. I bought you an above ground pool. Yay! No, he doesn't seem like he's that into it, so. And his big thing is, he says he's going to end up taking care of it, and I'm like, I promise you. Cross my heart, hope to die, I will take care of this fucking pool. I think you would take care of it, but I feel like 
I mean, Todd takes care of our stuff, but it's kind of a manly job. No, well, I not feel to like sexist, but I feel like I could take care of it, except for like if something happens to like the pump. Yeah, at that point, I'd have to call in a specialist or make Donald do it. The but, chemicals and stuff you could do. Anyway, yeah. I think you should just buy it. But that's oh. bad marital advice for me. <laughs> don't don't listen to me. Oh my god, I love it. Oh um, man. So, uh, anything else? Everybody, everybody surviving though. Yeah. Okay. This is the new norm, and whatever. Okay. Good. 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 I mean, I miss people. I miss like seeing people, talking to people. Todd and I got out a little bit this weekend and bebopped around. That was nice. Yeah, so. that is good. Um, more importantly, what are we drinking? Oh, right. Hold on. I have to open the door. I'm in the basement, and Donald's office gets real hot. Uh, Kenny, what are you drinking? Uh, some nice filtered water. So. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Great. It's very I'm, delicious. I'm drinking a Pinot Noir from Oregon. Mm-hmm. And it is called a whole cluster Pinot Noir from. Oh. It doesn't actually say the the winery on it, but it's oh. good. So I like that they use the whole cluster. No yeah, waste here. Yeah, whole cluster. Um, delicious. I'm trying to uh, find the name of the I'm drinking another boxed wine because I am buying it in bulk, so I can drink it in bulk. As it turns out, mm-hmm. uh, it is the. Aldi version, mm. and it's what is their red wine that they have? Winking Owl, something Owl. I don't Winking know. I've never had their wine. Wink- is it good? Oh, yeah. yeah, it's Winking Owl. So they have Winking Owl. It's a red blend, I think it is. And I sounded like a pirate just there. <laughs> it's a red blend, I think it is. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's I didn't know they had box wine. I think it might be kind of new. Anyway. They have box wine at Aldi, and it was like $14 for the rocks wine, and I was like, that's great. Deal. I will take it. So I'm almost done with that one. I have bought myself another Boda box to follow it up because mm-hmm. I'm classy in quarantine. Keep it classy yeah. in quarantine, people. Um, I also booked a massage today for next week. Mm, I'm, getting a hair, I'm getting a haircut on Friday, girl. Get it. My roots are so bad. I need one. <laughs> So. That's the thing. I don't dye my hair. So my hair, as far as color goes, but it's like, it's, it's getting bushy. Like, yeah, it's getting real. So I, my light, last... like, I don't mind getting it. I don't need mine cut. I just need it dyed. Although Todd no, that's keeps saying, thing. just let it grow out. He's like, just let it be its color. And I'm like, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, mine is, I don't dye my hair. So I need, I need like it to be trimmed up. I'm a dude basically. Well, you've got short hair, and when you've yeah. got short hair, like even if you have a bob and that starts getting long, that gets real annoying, mm-hmm. or bangs or anything like that. Like, yeah, it's, I will say it, when I've had bangs in the past, I can cut them myself. Like I have, I'm professional. Mm. I'm good at it. I did the bang thing once. It was bad news. Um, um, me and bangs are best friends. I feel very naked without them right now, but it's amazing. Um, so can't get well, sweaty. Yeah. Anyway, well, I'm very excited. Oh, 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 oh. girls, Ooh. a sweater. I like to really ring out a t-shirt after a workout. So, <laughs> <laughs> how how is your Weight Watchers going? Oh yeah, let's just touch on that real quick, so we don't have to do it at the end. Um, okay, so at the beginning of the weekend, I was down seven point seven pounds. 
Cheney. So I'm going to round that up to eight. Yeah, you are. I will say the weekend was a little rough and rugged for me, and it was Mother's <laughs> Day. So okay. I, I definitely gained back like a pound and a half. But let's just go with I'm down 7.7, and I still can't believe that it's real life. Like, and it's at all. working. Yeah. Like, I don't understand. Like, I mean, and, and I've also been sponsored. Like, we're paying for no. our own pockets. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if Weight Watchers wants to sponsor me, Please. I'd be happy to be their spokesperson. But, um, I also have been really trying to walk, which is why if you guys saw on Instagram, I posted me and my new beats that I'm wearing right now um, uh, so that I can walk with Bluetooth and like listen to my music Mm -hmm. and or podcast. But usually I listen to music so I can walk to the beat. That's what I do. Yeah, Um, I did. um, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. How's your Weight Watchers journey going? It's good. I, this week has been, last week was really rough because we're getting our, um, some kitchen stuff done. And so our commission, our kitchen was out of commission for the entire week. So Mm -hmm. we had to eat out for every single meal. And we've been, we've been cooking every single meal. So to switch from making everything and then eating out, I realize how much I don't like eating out. Like I, I really don't like every now and then I certainly enjoy it, but not for every single meal. It's gross. Mm Um, so I, I assumed I was going to be up a little bit because it's really hard to stay within those points because like one sandwich from like Jersey Mike's and I even got a freaking salad and it was like X amount of points that was way high. Mm. Um, I lost four pounds. Yay. Isn't this amazing? I like don't understand it. I can still eat what I want. It's all about portion control. You're hundred percent right. Portion control. But I did also do something very funny that I wanted to share with you. So I was walking my dog on this weekend at some point and I haven't been working out a lot because our, the entrance to our basement's kind of blocked off from them working on the kitchen. So I haven't had access to it anyway. So it was cold out. I had like a big winter coat on and gloves and a scarf. And I walked Callie, our dog, and she's very slow. You do not get a workout with her because you'll be, you'll take her out for 45 minutes and you'll make it around the block very slowly. So there's no exercise involved. So (laughs) what I did was, is I was, I jogged in place the whole time. And when I wasn't jogging in place, I did lunges as she was walking. That's how slow she is. I could do walking lunges. That's how slow she is. And my butt is so sore. This happened two days ago and my butt is still sore from all the lunges. So there you go. (laughs) I probably look like a freak and I don't care. It's fine. I do lunges. Well, I do squats when I'm pushing Declan on the swing. Oh, perfect. So Mm. improvise. It's all about improvising. That's right. Okay. Should we talk about survival? Yes. Sorry, everybody. This is why you're here. Okay. So my survival (laughs) story is about a girl. Her name is Molly Wright, and she's certainly a badass. I got this story from Reader's Digest, Tried and True. Yes. And um, so let's back up to January 2016. We're in Colorado and it's a very stormy Colorado day. And uh, Jeremy, who is Molly's boyfriend, were leaving. So they lived in Denver and they were leaving for the weekend to hit the slopes in Breckenridge, Colorado, which I've never been. I've been to Vail, but not Breckenridge. Um, so I think it's like a two hour drive out of Denver, maybe a little longer. I'm not sure, but they were both from Colorado, Molly and Jeremy, and they had been dating for about a year. Um, Jeremy was 29. Molly was 28 at the time. 
and they both were Colorado natives. They loved books and music and the outdoors. And they had really hit it off. Like as soon as they started dating, um, Jeremy was a PR specialist and he also was in mixed martial arts. And then Molly, um, her gig, oh, sorry. Just a random timer going off in my house. Why? Why are you doing that? Okay. Um, So Molly worked for like a financial advisor company or whatever. I mean, that has nothing to do with the story, but just some background on them. So let's see. They were at the point in their relationship where they're pretty sure that they, you know, wanted to be with one another, but they had not said like, I love you. They hadn't moved in together. So it'd been a year. They're in their late twenties and this is just a fun ski trip with their friends for the weekend. And as they were driving to Breckenridge and again, if you've ever been to Colorado, it's very, I mean, there's a lot of mountains and it's very twisty turny. It can be kind of a, a scary drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as they were climbing towards uh, the resort town, uh, Jeremy in the article I read, he said he felt an overwhelming wave of gratitude and basically said in his mind he was thinking this like life is so good right now it's probably the best moment of my life he was feeling good about where he was with this with molly and how much he you know liked her and he was just falling in love with her essentially and he was thinking that to himself and then he said within a blink of an eye everything changed and a semi-truck well, one article I read it said a semi truck. Another article I read said a truck. So I don't really know how big the truck was, but let's say a semi truck um, ended up swerving and hitting them out of nowhere. And um, Jeremy was driving a Mitsubishi Montero, which is a smaller SUV, I think, um, which flipped and rolled through the snow. And he woke up sitting on the side of the road in his uh, SUV, which was totally mangled and just super discombobulated. Like what the hell just happened? But wait, he's Um, still in it. He's still in it. Him and Molly are both still in it at this point. So there's not a lot of details exactly what happened in the actual accident. I don't think they really know. They just know that out of nowhere, the semi or this large truck hit them. They spun off the road and they find themselves you know, off the road and they're the front of their car inside of their car is completely mangled and they're both still inside the car. So they both come to and he is pinned to his seat by the steering wheel. Um, he's in a lot of pain and he looks over to his right because Molly was in the passenger seat and she was actually pinned between the dashboard and the passenger seat. So she was down in the little like the part where your feet go when you're sitting on the passenger side of the car, like down there. Um, he said her eyes were open, but she couldn't say anything. And, um, he said, but she didn't have to say anything because the look in her eyes, he saw like nothing was there. Like he almost like she was dead. And he thought to himself, don't die. I love you. Don't die. Quote readers digest. Okay. Oh my God. But did he say that out loud or he just thought it in his head? He was thinking it. Maybe he like mumbled it, but he was like, I, I love you. Don't die. Like this, why is this happening? Um, but statistically, Molly should have died. But thankfully, this is Sip Survivor Pete, so she doesn't. So oh, thank God. inside her neck, her Mm-mm. vertebrae had basically been crushed, and her head was attached to her shoulders by nothing but skin and muscle. Oh! Um, so doctors call this an internal decapitation. Wait. And but was it, so what, was it also was held on, on? But was it also held on with a green ribbon? <laughs> No. And then later in life, he takes the green ribbon off and her head falls off. <laughs> no. Okay. That's after surgery. That's how they okay. get it back. That's how they Great. get to stay up. Great. Great. 
So the odds of survival surviving a internal decapitation is 1%. Oh my God. So that is the eating. grossest thing I've ever heard, by the way. I didn't know that was it, a thing. <sighs> right. I, so, okay. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> this is all happening. He's pinned. He can't help her, which is probably good because if you move her the wrong way, mm-hmm. she's done. Yeah. Um, so at the same time, after the accident happens, uh, a gentleman by the name of Henry Rodriguez, um, he was actually vacationing in Colorado. He's an army lieutenant. And he was actually trained in emergency medicine. He was driving the same highway, him and his wife, not far behind uh, Jeremy and Molly. And once he saw the wreck, he pulled over immediately. He was like, this ain't good. And um, he ran over to the car. His wife ran over to soothe Jeremy and, like, keep him calm because he was freaking out because his girlfriend appears to be dead next to him. And he's in a lot of pain. Um, And when he... When um, Henry Rodriguez approaches the passenger side of the car, he doesn't see anybody in it because she's so smushed down into the smaller, you know, between the dashboard and the and the um, and the seat that he doesn't see her at first. And then he he does. Then he sees her and he knew right away that one wrong move of getting her out of this car could either kill her or paralyze her if she wasn't already paralyzed. Mm-hmm. Um, so luckily he was, he's been trained in this before. So he carefully took her out of the car and, uh, laid her by the roadside. He covered her with a bunch of coats and blankets that he collected from passing motorists. He, they flagged them down. Um, it was also a bad storm was kind of brewing. So it was obviously very cold out cause they're in the mountains, but it was also snowing very heavily. Um, so for 45 minutes, uh, he did CPR on her and did not stop. Oh my God. Um, it that also took a workout. 40, I know it also took 45 minutes to the amp for the ambulance to arrive too. Mm. So not only did the CPR save her life, but can you imagine just being afraid of one wrong move of doing a, the movement of CPR and someone's Mm-mm. neck is broke. So you think mm. like you're going to, I don't know. I just, so, can I just say something really gross? Yeah. Today. No. I'm like imagining him doing CPR and like her head just like flopping mm-hmm. around because it's not attached to anything. It's not attached to anything. No, he did say after he did CPR, he rolled on her side and that, that is like, I mean, I wouldn't recommend doing this unless you know what you're doing, but it's some type of, um, life-saving head and whatever movement, whatever. Mm. I don't know. Mm. So ambulance comes, it ain't looking good. Uh, Molly had sunk into a coma once she arrived at the hospital and, she, you know, once she got there, they hooked her up with dozens of tubes and machines. It was extremely serious. And the doctors were also nervous that at any moment a fever or infection or anything could could wipe her out at this point. Um, even if her body was stabilized, her brain might never recover at this point. Um, in addition to her shattered neck, she also suffered fractures in her ribs Mm-hmm. Um, her other vertebrae bruises on her lungs and damaged her major arteries and the arteries specifically bringing blood to her brain. Oh, so it was no. just bad news bears all the way around. Not mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the doctors who were quoted in the article were saying how, you know, when you suffer a brain, a traumatic brain injury, you just never know what you're going to get. Uh, you know, some people recover, some people have personality changes afterwards, some people never recover. Some people become serial killers. Some people become serial killers. Like, it's just the spectrum of what you get afterwards. You just never know. And she was in such a state that they they didn't even think she was going to make it. 
Um, in fact, one of the doctors, they were quoted saying, if you've seen one brain injury, you've seen one brain injury because none of them are the same. They're all very different. Yeah. Um, so in weeks after the crash, a pattern set in. Molly laid in her bed, being fed through a tube, uh, breathing on a ventilator, not having any like reaction to anyone around her. And it was interesting because in the article, they talked about the doctor's log and the log basically read February 6th, not following commands, February 11th, not following commands, February 15th, not following commands. So it was just page after page of just no response. Oh my God. Um, Oh my God. Is she stuck in her own brain? She is. Yeah. And it'll, I'll, I'll get to that. Can you imagine? Mm -mm. So Jeremy is also in the hospital with his own serious injuries, although he has recovered much faster. Um, He had a broken hip, a broken scapula. Am I saying that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, What is that? Um, Anybody know? Any doctors in the house? It's something that you flip pancakes with. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you got for Mother's Day? A scapula? Oh, wait, that's a spatula. Um, Uh, I actually don't know. I just know it's part of the body, but I don't know where it is. Okay, great. Um, Well, he had broke that. He had broken one of those. He couldn't make pancakes anymore. (laughs) Damn, and he was such a breakfast lover. Mm. Um, He also had heart and lung contusions. And, yeah, so it was – he was recovered, but he had his own journey, too. So – Let's see. Da, 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 da. However, he knew he loved Molly, so he stuck by her side and showed up to the hospital every single day. He followed the nurse's cues. He talked to her every day, even though even he didn't know if she could hear him or not. She just laid there. And he said he just kept thinking, she's going to come back to me. I just know it because she's a fighter. Um, and with every passing day, he knew that her chances of um, recovery were getting worse and worse. Um, he did say that at one point her wrists and hands started to curl inward. And I actually was writing this story um, like later last week. And this, I actually cried when I read that part because to see someone you love and notice like certain like physical deformities happening to them because their body is just deteriorating would just be so heartbreaking. I can't imagine having to go through this. And her parents yeah. are there and all this stuff, you know, to watch all this. Um, so her hands started to curl inward and it's called... Um, posturing and it can it can indicate just irreversible damage in the body just means your body's breaking down essentially um but then about three weeks after this Mm -hmm. molly began to show signs of life so by february 25th um the doctor's notes then were upgraded to say moving the right leg spontaneously a focused gaze and march 1st like off the ventilator all day Um, looking to both sides so the signs were very small every day but the doctors could see that she's making progress and she's starting to come to molly actually recalls the first time she woke up and she looked straight ahead and there was a whiteboard in front of her um, at the foot of her bed and it said hello molly today is wednesday may 18th mind you this accident happened in january Oh, God. So she wakes up and it says, hello, Molly. Today is Wednesday, May 18th. And she said she was so confused because she's like, wait, what the fuck? Like, what happened to February, March and April? Like, where am I? Where have I been? Like she but she couldn't talk. 
So right. all of this is like, and she couldn't show like, she couldn't like blink really or show like signs that she was scared or anything. So all of this is like going on in her mind, but she can't express any of it. So she kind of is trapped inside her own body. Um, so essentially she was living inside a fog for the next few weeks. And um, let's see, it, the hardest thing for her this time is that she couldn't connect with the staff or even the people she loved, her parents or Jeremy until one day. So it happened when Jeremy went to the hospital and just like he did most days, he ended up walking her down to her physical therapy. So if, if the doctors and, and, or Jeremy could assist her, she could stand up. Like she had movement, but she had to be, uh, sort of, uh, guided, so to speak. Um, so she was like half conscious she couldn't move. She couldn't make her own movements, but if she was directed, she could do it. So, um, he ended up putting, getting her on the bed, getting her in the wheelchair and then getting her up on the bed, waiting for the physical therapist to come into the room. And, um, he stretched her legs out for her and he was kind of like rubbing her feet a little bit and just, he said he would just always talk to her. He just called it like, you know, nonsense chatter, just like, you know, today I did this and this and this and this. And, um, sometimes when he would like rub her legs or like move her limbs or something, she would spout, like her body would spasm. And this time he was like rubbing her feet and her body suddenly spasmed and she sat up really quick, which has happened before. Like that's pretty normal. And without even thinking about it, Jeremy said, Hey, we're not doing sit-ups. What are you doing? And Molly laughed. (gasps) Like she busted out a huge laugh. And he's, Jeremy started crying because it's the first type of verbal communication she's had. And he started screaming and yelling. And he was like, oh, my God, you hear me? You're in there. And um, Molly started, like, crying. And she knew that he knew she was still inside. Like, she knew she was inside. But now she knew that he knew that she was going to come back to him. Um, I know. It's just, oh, I just got goosebumps. So um, in the weeks that followed, she improved dramatically. So this was, like, the first big stepping stone in getting her back on her feet. And, um Soon enough, she was watching, listening. She was able to focus, and she was able to respond. She couldn't talk yet, but she had actually learned sign language in college, and so had Jeremy. So they would sign back and forth with little sign language that they knew to each other. And the first thing that Molly said to him was, I love you. And, and he signed it back to her. So it's the first, like, verbal, you know, nonverbal communication that she had with him. Um, so she had spent a total of six months in the hospital after the crash, And she had to learn to eat again, talk again, and walk again. And soon she was released from the hospital. She's considered an absolute miracle. She was released back to her family's home where, of course, there were setbacks and frustrations. I mean, can you imagine trying to go back to your normal life? And she said one of the things that was so frustrating is like, how do you, whether to use the walker or the wheelchair to get to the living room, like it was those little small things that we take for granted every single day. And she just was trying to get around her own house. Um, so after months and months of recovery, um, you know, there were some great days and there were some really bad days. She kept making progress. And what became her biggest step of all is that after 18 months after the crash, her and Jeremy moved in together. Oh my God. Like Kenny, like Kenny and his girlfriend. (gasps) It's fate. It's meant to be. Um, Kenny, this is a sign. Okay. So, I hope there's no accident or anything. No, oh, I mean, no. No, it's just the moving in part. Look too far into it. Um, so 
basically they still, you know, face challenges every day, but they have been living happily ever after since then. Um, Molly is in charge of taking care of the household and Jeremy works. And while he works, she, you know, holds down a small job. She can't handle like a high stress job. Uh, Multitasking tires her out. Her grip is uncertain. And um, because of her spinal injuries, she can't turn her neck very well. So she definitely has some, some setbacks, but she's coping and, they're still together. They're very much in love. And um, she's actually training for a bike race. So she has like a special modified bike and she's considering a new career in occupational therapy. So that is the story of Molly Wright, who is incredible and just an amazing survivor. I mean, 1% and she came through. I just can't deal with the internal decapitation. No, that's what, I mean, when I was reading this, I was like, you know, cause we read a lot of stories to prep for this and I was reading it and then I saw that and I'm just like, Oh, that's interesting. I never heard of that before. Well, there you go. Let's hear a, let's hear your story. Mine is pretty gruesome as well. Um, mm-hmm. I would first like to start by saying I texted my husband from the basement where I am recording Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, can you bring me that winking owl wine box? Because my horseback riding got rescheduled for Thursday. So I was like, well, I might as well drink some more wine because I don't have to ride. Um, and my four-year-old brought it down. <laughs> He's the runner. He's the wine runner. <laughs> my wine runner is my four-year-old. So hey, There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not going to judge you. <laughs> Thank you. Please mm-hmm. don't. Okay. Never. Now, this is a little weird. I'm not used to hearing myself talk and not hearing myself fully because of these beats. These beats by Dre are really like, can't hear a lot. They're so anyway. cool. Oh my God, I know. Hold on. Before we start, I'm just going to pour myself some more wine to begin. Yeah. First things first. I am also sweating a little bit. I might have to take my sweatshirt off. Well, because you said it's hot down there. Why is it hot down there? Is it just it's a very, steamy... It's very, no, it's just very insulated. Because he, like, was trying to soundproof it from the upstairs. So I think it's just got a lot of insulation. Oh, okay. Anywho. All right. So, funny enough, Danelle almost did this story. I did. (laughs) And usually, guys, we don't know what each other, we don't know each other's stories. But before we started, we try to decide who's going to go first. And I almost picked this story. Yikes, because we're both obsessed with Reader's Digest during this quarantine. (laughs) I'm 38 going on 80. It's fine. Yeah, I love Reader's Digest. I like it in the big print because then I don't have to wear my glasses. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Okay. Uh, it It was Good Friday. And it started like any other for Kurt Kaiser. Or Kaiser. I'm going to go Kaiser because that's what I'm going to keep saying. I know it. He was, he was a third generation farmer from Northeast Nebraska. So, um, take yourself there. I've actually never been to Nebraska, but I feel like I kind of want to go to Nebraska. I really want to go to Montana. (gasps) Yes. That's my number one, I think, but I would say Nebraska is pretty close second. I really sidebar Todd and I have been talking a lot about our retirement dreams Mm. because it's not going to happen for a while, Mm -hmm. but I would love to have a little cottage in Montana with a pig sanctuary there. Oh my God. Get ready. Cause this guy has some pigs. Okay? Oh my God. Okay. Okay. So he's 63 years old and he's a farmer 
He was, the, I don't know what this word means, taciturn. Okay. okay. <laughs> no idea. Okay. He was a very skinny man. Okay. And he, he woke up around 530 and he woke up next to his beautiful wife, Lori. Oh. Uh, he lit a cigarette, which I don't condone, but whatever. But hey, sometimes you need a morning smoke. I guess. Ugh. Okay. He pulled on his muck boots. He stuck an old pocket knife in his front pocket and he headed out to start the day. What the hell was that whining noise? Did oh, anyone no. hear that? No. Oh my God, I, I didn't hear anything. Oh my God. I mean, oh Jenny, my God. My beats by Dre are possessed. Sensitive. I'll, I guess I'll find out when I edit this if I hear anything, but. Okay. I, it sounded I like there's. It sounded like a dog whining. Like a, Maybe Aww. there's a ghost in your beats. That's what I'm saying. There probably is. Okay. Back to the story. Uh, Kurt had 3,000 hogs. <laughs> Damn. That's not, that's not the kind of pig sanctuary I want. No, no I think these were for, for butchering, I'm guessing. If you call them hogs, is that what, that's, is that, what that means? Yeah. Mine are going to be loved and cared for. It's fine. Go ahead. He also had 1,500 acres of corn and soybeans. Okay. He, he also had a small trucking business. I'm like, damn, Kurt. Damn, you Kurt's got a lot. Years, 60s. You got a lot going on. Yeah. Um, so I guess his to-do, his to-do list was never small, was the basic gist of it. Uh, he also understood that rushing around trying to do things on the farm often led to accidents. Um, in fact, in sixth grade, he had jumped down from his father's tractor and he landed with one foot inside the corn picker. Now, I don't know what a corn picker is, but I'm guessing it's some sort of machinery that picks the corn. That sounds painful, whatever Um, it is. Yes, he didn't break any bones, but the teeth of the corn picker, I guess there's teeth involved, mauled his foot and ankle. (gasps) And so he he had to spend the next three months in and out of the hospital. Damn. Surgeons had to end up grafting skin from the top of his leg to the bottom before they could get it fully repaired. And this is when he was a kid. This isn't the story this, that happened no, to him. No, that's when he was okay. in sixth grade. So thankfully it was like, I guess, skin deep, we'll call it, because it was like he got skin grafts and they were able to fix it. Um, it doesn't say anything about him like having any kind of limp or anything like that. Like, I don't think it affected his actual ability to walk at that point. So um, he said, uh, his quote was, everybody gets in a hurry and we just don't think. And he said, I got lucky on that one. Like, oh, oh my right. God. Okay. All right, Kurt. Yeah. Hmm, keep it positive. He's positive, uh, yeah. All right. So it's Friday morning again. It was Good Friday, and it was 2019. So a little over a year ago. So it's pretty recent. He had a bunch of hired hands, um, and so he had sent them out to load some corn. And then he hopped into a truck himself to do the same. And he was very happy because it was a beautiful day. Uh, he said that it was crisp and clear, and um, it was supposed to be in the 60s later that afternoon. Um, and he said he was excited because there wasn't going to be any rain. And he said that the Midwest and the Great Plains had just had a historic flooding that had destroyed billions of dollars worth of crops. So this was like one of those mornings you wake up and it's sunny and it's bright and it's crisp and you know it's going to warm up later in the day. And it's just like if you live in the north, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yep. It's been a little shitty in Ohio recently. Like, it snowed two days ago. It's been terrible, but it's fine. It's fine. We're going to get through it. Um, 
So he had lived there outside of the small town of Pender um, with a population of 1,100 people his entire life. 1,100 people. That's less people than he has acres. He has 1,500 acres and there's 1,100 people. So anywho, just interesting. Um, He said, similar to, I think, a lot of people in the Midwest, spring uh, was very fickle and you could appreciate any calm and sunny morning if you could catch one. And I agree. Um, Let's see. He married Lori and raised a son and two daughters. And um, there's some interesting stuff about how, like, you know, people in Reader's Digest get pretty florally with their their stories. They get, yeah, they're very descriptive. Long enough to stumble and stand again, to crutch on booze and finally cut loose, to feel this community supporting him. I'm like, okay, that's, what does that have to do with anything? But all right, thank you, Reader's Digest. Um, So... The goal of the Good Friday was simple. He wanted to take the corn that he had just picked from the soggy field 10 miles south to the silo on his homestead. If you don't know what a silo is, if you've ever driven through the country and you see one of those big, like, metal cylindrical things, that's a silo. Kenny, if I'm, t- if I'm saying any of this wrong, you're the one who came from farm country. Nope, you're all good. Great. And, okay, so what, they put corn in there? Sorry. Okay, I always wonder what was really in that. So thanks well, for clarifying. Well, you could put lots, of, you could put lots of stuff in silos, but he's putting like, corn in his, like socks, shoes, corn, <laughs> fake <anything>. mustaches, whatever, <laughs> whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, like things. Once you pick them, I think you can put in the silo until they get taken away to like sell. I'm guessing. Kenny, again, thoughts? Yeah, that's okay. good. Store yes. stuff there. Whew, you store shit in there. And I don't mean horse shit. I mean food that you're going to eat. Hold on, I need a sip of wine. Mm-mm-mm. I mean, like, Mm-mm. corn. Corn. So I have, I have a farming question. So, quickly, sidebar. Once they... Kenny, when they cut down the corn, do they... Like, why is it... Never mind, this isn't after... I'm, I'll, I'll ask it later. Go on. Okay. You already started the question. Well, like, when they are running the tractors through the cornfields, are they just picking the ears or do they also like take the stalks too? Have you ever seen those giant machines that take them down? Yeah, but I feel like there's still stuff standing afterwards. Don't they just, well, it's usually like picture a giant mower and it like takes down pretty much all the stock, like three fourths of it. And then I don't know the mechanics of the inside of the machine, but it basically like sheds the corn out of it and then it like oh. comes out into a big barrel that's running alongside the tractor mm-hmm. okay hmm. like okay. if you look it up you'll see like stuff coming from a tube that goes into this big bin that's like the corn that's and that's cut. what's holding the corn okay yeah and then you got to take the corn and put it in the silo correct got it old okay. mcdonald had a farm go e-i-e-i-o uh <laughs> well this is old mccurt except for the no McCurt. old just old kurt <laughs> Okay, so he had dispatched his help, so all of his, like, uh, farm hands had all dispersed to go get corn from different places. His wife had gone to Sioux City, Iowa, which is nearly an hour away from where he was in Nebraska. I don't know if she worked there, if she had, like, errands to run there, but whatevs, Lori is gone. He parked his truck alongside the tractor that was next to the silo, 
and he tilted his long corn-filled bed using the hydraulic mm-hmm. hoist. I obviously read that verbatim. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point, he connects the tractor to a large bin called a hopper. Okay. Yes. Okay. Great. Great. Kurt wheeled, uh, he wheeled it beneath the truck bed to catch the corn when he opened the gate. And inside the hopper, covered by a big protective grate, uh, was a big, giant corkscrew that's 30 feet long. In my head, I'm imagining like... 30 feet cr- long? 30 feet long. I'm imagining the largest wine bottle opener. Oh, yeah. Yum. Right? Um, but it's called an auger. So its job is not to open wine for large bottles. Its job is to rotate slowly and to convey the corn up a long yellow chute and dump it into the top of the silo. Everybody on board with that? So it's like a corkscrew is moving in this thing and the truck's going to dump it in and the corkscrew is going to like push all the stuff into this tube and the tube then dumps it out at the top of the silo. Ta-da! Okay. Okay, great. Um, so Kurt had everything prepped and ready to go, but despite that, something um, kind of went wrong, as he said, often happens in the life of a farmer, which I was oh, like, no. I don't know anything about being a farmer, but that sounds terrible. Um, so at this point, what happened is the corn released too quickly, so a bunch of kernels began to pile up on the sides of the hopper, and on top of the protective grate. And that grate, again, was concealing the auger's rotating blades, like that corkscrew. So, Kurt's thinking, fine, I will unclog this. He stepped into the cornfield hopper. Oh, okay. Um, to lower the truck's gate so that he could stop the flow of corn and, like, fix what was going on. But he forgot... The, uh, that protective grate that was over the auger and the rotating blades, the corkscrew, had a really mm-hmm. big hole in it. A hole that Kurt had cut himself. Why? Because Kurt, don't do that. months earlier in Nebraska, the ground was frozen and he couldn't fit the auger beneath the grain bin. So he cut a hole in it so he could shove the auger under the grain bin in the winter to store it. Oh, no. Okay. So he did this to himself. (laughs) So he didn't remember that. He only remembered when he took a step onto the the, um, protective grate and his foot sank into the corn through that hole. And it fell right into the auger where the blades are spinning. Mm -mm. Mm Okay, this is where it gets graphic, everyone. Mm -mm. Uh, It snagged his foot and pulled him forward. Uh, it shredded his jeans and then it started shredding his ankle. <gasps> Ooh, okay. Okay. He fell backward onto the gravel path, but the blades were still churning and they were slowly pulling him into the hopper. And the whole time, flesh is being torn off of his bones. My God. No! No. <laughs> no. Yikes. Okay. So at this point, he had successfully closed the gate of the truck. So no more corn corn was coming into the auger. But 
the auger was still going because it was grabbing onto his his pants and his leg and oh trying God. to pull him. So it didn't realize there wasn't corn to be augered. Yeah. I don't think it that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, mm, this is a warning. He could see his his tibia he could see his tibia over the hopper's red casing he said he saw at least six inches of bone exposed beneath beneath the knee Mm -mm. six inches that's That's, half a foot that's (laughs) jenny no he also okay. looked and saw his own severed foot bobbing like a rag doll in the hopper towards the mm-hmm. silo's opening. So there so was still just cut his entire foot off. Yes, and it was heading towards the top of the beautiful silo to contaminate all of the corn. Wow. There were still tethers of denim connected to his dis- disconnected foot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just okay. terrifying. Okay. Just just awful is what this is. Uh, the machine wouldn't release what was left of his leg. So he couldn't reach the controls to shut it down. Uh, he obviously couldn't go to the truck. Uh, he couldn't call for Wait help. a minute. There's no, like, emergency, like... Not for like where... There should be, like, a button from, okay, like, if you're stuck in the hopper. Okay, not where you... There should up. be. Okay. okay, there should be. Good work. We'll we'll tell that to the I'm farming get on association. That. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna call the farming association after this call, immediately. Great. Perfect. Um, he needed a call for help, and he was like, "Where's my cell phone?" So he starts like patting down his like um, his pockets, his chest, his thighs. He was like looking all around his jeans for this cell phone because he's like, "I know I have it." Um, well, later it would be found that part of his cell phone was in the silo. Because the silo had already taken the cell phone and crushed it and spit it out. Oh, my God. Oh, my so gosh. So he does okay. not have a cell phone at this point. So he's, and he's in the middle of a field. With his wife an hour away and all of his yeah. farmhands are out doing their jobs. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. He said he could scream for help, but the auger would drown out his cries. And there was no one around to hear. So he wasn't sure how long he could stay conscious. Um, okay, we're gonna get gross again. I was holding that one bone in my leg that was all bare and stuff. There was oh, no God. there was no meat or nothing on it, but the auger was jerking on and I was getting wore out, Kurt says. I just didn't know how long I'd survive. Can you imagine holding your own bone? No. I would no. vomit. I would vomit. Okay, that's when he remembered, before he had left the house, he had put his cheap, black-handled pocket knife into his jeans. Oh, boy. Okay. It was a promotional pocket knife that he had gotten uh, from some of the seed corn dealers uh, and equipment manufacturers. So, like, you know when you go to trade shows? So, it's a piece of junk. Like, it's not anything. Yeah, Yeah. you get, like, shitty little tchotchkes. Well, he Mm -hmm. had one in his pocket that he had grabbed on the way out of the house. So, he unfolded it. It was just three or four inches long, so it wasn't very big. And he said there were no second thoughts. The auger was still drawing him closer. And he was like, if I don't do this now, it's going to take my knee, my thigh. It's going to keep going. Like, it's going to eat me alive. Yeah, yeah. So he started with his left hand. He gripped the bone. He gripped the the bone. He gripped the bone below his knee. 
again. Mm -mm. And with his right hand, he began to saw away muscle and tendons and tissue. Mm -mm. Oh, my God. See, when I almost picked the story, I didn't get this far. I only saw the picture. Oh, girl. So Uh I knew what it entailed, but I didn't read the story. (laughs) Oh, God. It's so gross. Okay. So bad. He said he could feel the ping and the snap and the sudden release of nerves as he was cutting. And he said the handle started getting really slick and he lost his grip because Mm -hmm. there was so much blood. And the the knife slipped out of his hand. Miraculously, he caught it with his left hand. Thank God. Um, He said he would have been out of luck had he not caught it. So he re-grips the knife again. I'm sure he had to wipe the blood off a little bit. And he continued the horrific act of amputating his own leg. I mean, this thing would have dragged him under, essentially, right? Oh, yeah. And, like, Eventually, it would have chewed like, him up. Yeah. So he said the, I don't know, the person writing this kind of asked, like, wasn't every knife stroke, like, awful? Mm. And he, Kurt said he really doesn't recall. He said maybe it was shock. But he said, I, the only thing I could think of was that I needed to survive and I wanted to get the hell out of there. So he cut through all the muscles. He cut through the last tendon. And he swung his leg away from the machine. And he, and he dropped that knife in the dirt. So at this point, he crawled to the tractor, up into the cab, and he shut down the auger. Then, he, I'm like, Kurt, then he crawls to the truck to shut that off, too, because he didn't want to waste diesel fuel. Oh, my gosh. Come on. Kurt. Priorities. Kurt set, he's set in his ways. He's a man <laughs> of the environment. Jesus. No, he, he just doesn't want to pay more diesel. It's expensive shit. <laughs> okay, so now he has to maneuver with partial leg off the truck, and he decided he needed to get himself to the garage because that's where the office phone was. It was 70 yards away. So I think we discussed 100 yards is a football field, so almost a football field? Yeah. Um, okay, so he's clawing his way to the garage. He said it was, like, the worst. It was the hardest thing he's had to do. Uh, he gets there, he picks up the receiver, um, and instead of calling 911, he calls his 31-year-old son. Oh, my God. Adam. I, if I was Adam, I'd be, I'd be like, no, why are you calling call 911 <laughs> first and then call me? So he had spent half of his life volunteering with the fire and rescue department, so he did have some knowledge of first aid. Okay. Um, but Kurt didn't say much when his son answered the phone. He said, I need an ambulance now. I lost my foot. A man of few words. So um, Adam was at the local John Deere dealership buying tractor parts because that's what you do. And he thought he, thought he misheard what his father had just said. So his, he said he heard auger and he heard hopper. And then his dad said again, get me an ambulance now. And then the line dropped. Mm-mm. So Adam darted out. Um, he jumped in his pickup and he drove four miles to the farm. He also called 911 on the way. So good, good for you, yeah. Adam. He was very worried that his father would bleed out before he arrived because yeah. obviously, like, if this really was the accident his father said, like, that's not great. Um Less than five minutes later, he got there and he ran to the hopper um, because he saw it out by the silo. But when he got there, his dad wasn't there. And he was like, what the shit? What? Um, 
He said the picture didn't reconcile. There was no blood, no painful cries, no droning auger. And that's when he noticed that the door to the garage was open. So he ran to the office and he found his father on the floor in a dusty shirt, a baseball cap, um, and his legs were hidden by the office wall. And he was smoking. Oh, my God. No way. (laughs) Get out of here. I wonder if he lit a cig. I wonder if he lit a cig on the wall. He was like army crawling to the garage. I don't know, but I badass. I don't know what you're doing. Uh, and Adam said, how bad is it? And Kurt looked up from the floor and he said, I messed up big time. Oh, so strangely, there was virtually no blood. Um, his doctor what? said, well, his doctor said it was due to Kurt's decades of heavy smoking. So I'm not oh. encouraging smoking, but apparently smoking a lot caused his blood vessels to restrict a little or yeah, a lot. That makes sense. Um, So his foot is missing. His leg is horribly mangled. He has dirt and debris everywhere. There's bones protruding out of his calf muscle. Oh, my God. Disgusting. Disgusting. And can you imagine how painful? Adam, the son, he then um, calls the rescue squad and says, kick it into overdrive. He basically said, you're probably going to need to take him by air to somewhere. Um. So he started asking his father questions because he wanted to keep him lucid. And then a 12 person team arrived just a few minutes later, which I'm like, damn, small town. You guys are on. Yeah. Way to go. Because a lot of small towns, they share ambulances with other like townships or whatever. So that's pretty good. Um, So they carefully loaded Kurt into the ambulance. They raced to Pender Community Hospital. And he said he doesn't remember much of the ride, but he does remember the helicopter ride to Bryan Medical Center in Lincoln. Um, and he said he looked at all the very muddy farmland below, because again, there are all these floods that have ruined a lot of crops. Um, he had two surgeries at Bryan Medical and then two more at Madonna Rehabilitation Hospital. Um, he then returned to the farm with his stump of his left leg uh, wrapped in clean elastic bandage just below the knee. So he did lose the leg just below the knee. Um, he was stuck inside for a long time with a pair of crutches and a walker. And he said, I kept getting too many get well soon cards. <laughs> Aww. So uh, just lots of people were worried. And, you know, he's just, he sounds like this, an old crutchy man. Yeah. Just like, I just want to be back out on the farm. With my so <laughs> he said, it's frustrating, but it's the nature of a farmer. Uh, don't think gets in a hurry, gets tired, whatever. So <laughs> Uh, four months after the incident, he received his prosthetic leg. And that means that he was a long time to have to wait for a prosthetic leg. I know. But if you get one that's like fit really well, I think it does take a long time. Oh, I don't know. Plus you have to wait for the whole thing to actually heal. Like, I don't know how long that shit takes. The whole body part thing. And you have to learn how to use it. And yeah. Okay. (laughs) Well, don't worry. After four legs, four legs. (laughs) (laughs) After four months and his prosthetic leg, he was back to farming, which is what he loved. Wow. Uh, He helped with the harvest last fall. So in 2019, he was helping with the harvest. Uh, He even ran the auger when he unloaded corn. No, stay off that auger. Uh, Some of his uh, farmhands went down to the, the hospital to see him. And the first thing he said when he saw them was, why are you guys not working? Oh my God. And what Tyler 
Tyler Hilkman told KCAU in Sioux City, ever since he got his leg, you can't stop him. One of these days, we might steal it from him. So, <laughs> yeah, apparently he's a real he's a real go-getter when it comes to farming. So uh, that is a story of Kurt, and he is Kurt Kaiser, and he uh, lost his leg in a very gruesome way. But don't worry, he's back at it. So hopefully he's still doing well, uh, especially during all this insane 2020 pandemic shit. So, well, and, and imagine, like, cutting through with a pocket knife. A shitty pocket. A shitty pocket. Those are dull. They're not very, like, they're small. Like, how do you, I mean, Mm -hmm. oh my God, what a crazy story. I do not like, I don't like cutting chicken tendons. No. With a knife. I have, I have special scissors for chicken Mm -hmm. because I don't like to feel the knife cut through it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Wow. That's crazy. (laughs) Kenny. Kenny. Got some weird news. Yeah. Okay. So a Belgium mom makes what in order to get McDonald's? Oh. Makes what? Hmm. Makes what to get McDonald's? Mm-hmm. Does she make Belgian waffles? <laughs> no. <laughs> Good guess. I think they're just called waffles there, but. I like it. Um, <laughs> makes what to get McDonald's? I. I mean, I don't know a lot about Belgium and, like, why she couldn't just go get McDonald's. I don't I, I mean, don't know. That Belgium doesn't have much to do with it. I think in the U.S., oh. it applies to us, too, in a way. Um, I don't know. What is it? Tell me. Uh, makes a cardboard car in order to go through the drive-thru. Ah! Stop <laughs> it. I almost guessed one of those, um, like, those plastic little kid cars. Yes. Like she went through with that, but she tights. went a step further. She went a step further and did a cardboard one. Yeah, it's like her and her daughter standing in this thing made of cardboard and duct tape that says the Micto Mobile. <laughs> oh God! Because they don't let you go through the drive-through without a car. I don't know if it actually worked or not, but do you think they would today? I don't. I think not, just because safety reasons. Like you don't want yeah. someone standing there and getting hit by a car or something. Yeah. Well, wow, you know what's that's... interesting is since the pandemic, like I've gone mm-hmm. through a couple drive-throughs that have to put signs up to say we can't serve you unless you're in a vehicle. Oh, really? Because I think people are like, I don't have a car, yeah. but I'm hungry and I can't go in, so I'm just going to order it in the drive-through. Yeah, mm-hmm. what do those people do? I, mean, I don't that's... know. That sounds like a their problem. That's what it sounds I know, like. But I feel like, <laughs> like I don't rallies, know. like rallies. I always see people like. The well, one on East 30th. No, they you're walk allowed. up to the window. No, you're they allowed. They have like a window. Yeah. I know, but they also have like a walk-up window too. So maybe yeah. they should install like a walk-up window for people. I don't know. They should. I like, I mean, my friend Shelly used to work at rallies and I used to order some Her sort fries, of. Their fries Ugh. are to die for. I used to get this cheeseburger. I forget the name mm-hmm. of it, but it had, um, I think two patties, cheese, an onion ring, barbecue oh, sauce mayo it was so mm-hmm. fucking good it's good but you can only have like rallies once a year well you're gonna have your... diarrhea or you're gonna have a heart attack one of the two or both so at the conclusion of all this i'm writing a letter <laughs> to the nebraska farmers okay i'm writing a letter to mcdonald's to put a walk-up window in got Great. it i know my assignments i'm on it you have your to-do list 
make it happen, Janelle. <laughs> you are you're our only hope. You are our only hope. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.